You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This network is supported by our listeners. You can become a supporting member by going to arcpodnet.com slash members and signing up. As a supporting member, you have access to high-quality downloads of each show and a discount at our future online store and access to show hosts on a members-only Slack team. For professional members, we'll have training shows and other special content offered throughout the year. Once again, go to arcpodnet.com slash members to support the network and get some great extras and swag in the process. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. Hi, and welcome to the Women in Archaeology podcast. My name is Chelsea Slotten, and tonight I am joined by Emily Long and Kirsten Lopez. Ladies, as always, thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So today we're going to do another um, book review episode. As some of you may remember, really early on in our show, we did a book review of Alan Kaiser's book, Archaeology, Sexism, and Scandal. And I think it was a really big hit, and we all really enjoyed doing it and getting to, to learn some more about our history as archaeologists and, you know, who's, who's writing about it and the politics of that. So we've been lucky enough to get to do another, another book review, this time on a book called Archaeology, Cool Women Who Did, Dig, which was... Uh, written by Anita Yasuda, hope I'm not butchering her last name, and is published by Nomad Press. It's part of their Girls in Science series. So this was a really, really recent publication. It was copyright 2017. And, you know, it's a a really great book. They do kind of an introduction to archaeology, an introduction to some of the really cool women who've participated in, in archaeology and helping make the field what it is, moving on to look at a couple notables from today, um, and it, as well as being interactive and interesting, and I'm clearly a big fan of this book, but <laughs> Emily or Kirsten, do you guys want to want to jump in with some kind of initial impressions, I guess? Sure. I I really was pleasantly surprised by the book. Uh, I feel like there's so many, um, well, and in fact, there actually aren't many children's books or even uh, preteen books on archaeology where you're getting a well-rounded picture of what the field is actually all about and how you actually get into archaeology. A lot of the books seem to be more about the stuff, about the artifacts and like, ooh, look, a sword. Ooh, look, this is excavation. <laughs> um, yay, things. Where's this? It, it's really about the archaeologists. And it gets into so much detail about, well, how did this person even decide to get into archaeology? And how did they go about it? And then it provides an example for every kind of career you could have in archaeology. So it talks about bioarchaeology. Well, here's a great bioarchaeologist who also happens to be a woman. Hooray! So I think <laughs> my my general impression of the book is like, wow, this provides great role models for um, boys and girls. And it's really informative. It does a good job of breaking down what archaeology is all about. And it's interesting. It's not too dry. It doesn't dumb it down, per se. It's a great book, in my opinion. I would definitely recommend it for teachers and for students. Like, it's a good one to just have on your shelf, ready to go. Yeah, definitely. That's You guys are totally spot on said everything more or less that I was thinking. Um, <laughs> there's some neat features that I found really cool um, that would include uh, a lot of other interactives that would be useful outside of the book so say there's these qr codes there's websites um but the qr codes i think are really neat because it's very much like right now if you're interested or if you find this interesting yeah uh it's you know you can just kind of hop on right now Uh, it also has like questions and interactives for teachers to to hop into so it's it's just very rich in the content and um, its potential for encouraging further exploration. Now, one thing I know that I I didn't mention 
earlier, but the the age range for this book is technically um, graded at ages nine to twelve for guided reading level T. I will admit that I have no idea what guiding reading level T means. One of the things that that I like about it that I think we've kind of all touched on in a in a somewhat roundabout way is its accessibility. Um, from the the guided questions that teachers could use to the QR codes that'll send you to interesting websites so that you can learn more without having to really go do an an in-depth um, search. and and also, it does mean that the the sites that you're going to go to are going to be age appropriate. And I know so often when you yeah. when you Google things about archaeology, you get, you know, the post-processual methodology of, you know, whatever. Somebody starts talking about Binford, who is <laughs> loquacious, uh, to say the least. <laughs> um, and, and some of that can be difficult even for, you know, advanced scholars to, to, to access. Oh, yeah. My so college making... students are still confused by my theory lectures. They're so like, wait... What was that? So yeah, I can't imagine trying to explain processualism and post-processualism and so on to a nine-year-old. It'd just be like, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> right. And this, I mean, it doesn't really talk about processualism, but it, it does make archaeology interesting and more realistic than some of the, look, I found cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, outside of the Indiana Jones bit or any of that i mean it's the the way that it, it kind of starts off with with very distinctly separating collectors from archaeologists and i thought that was a really neat thing to really kind of kick it off into the very in the very first few pages um is definitely getting into and separating that out oh yeah because I, I was curious, I had went on Amazon.com and just typed in archaeology and then went to kids' books, and yeah, it's just, it's mostly about the stuff, and they don't really get into too much about the difference between collecting, looting, and then archaeology as a science, and how it's no longer really collecting or looting, per se. <laughs> I mean... But that can be controversial. But um, it doesn't really get in. A lot of those books don't really get into how if you find something, leave it where it is. And you're right, Kirsten. It's great that the book just right off the bat is like, yeah, there's a huge difference between these two things. Don't collect. Even though early archaeology was all about collecting stuff, it goes into then the transition to, well, here's now what archaeology is. So yeah, I yes, really like that, too. And the, the, the key points on um, context and the importance of context, oh, yeah. you know, is, is dug into a little bit, which is kind of neat because that's, that's really what it's all about. And one of the really neat things that I really like about the way the author, uh, the way that Anita really kind of explored the concepts is she didn't really shy away from some of the things that other authors have a hard time portraying, it feels like. Uh, especially when it comes to kids' books, so things like context. Um, she also has some quotes in here from archaeologists, which I found really kind of fun because they have words like paleoethnobotany. <laughs> that, you know, kids are going to be like, what is that? But then, you know, she's got the, the index, or the glossary, I'm sorry, at the end, where you can look that up and it defines it for you. Uh, and even outside of that, you know, there's so many references and so many resources where it really encourages kids to, instead of skip over the, the challenging words, it, you know, ask those questions. It doesn't shy away from those while it still stays at that nine-year-old, uh, nine uh, you know, what, fourth through sixth grade reading level. On top of that, one thing I really enjoyed about the book, too, it just even that, that first couple um, chapters, they mentioned, the authors mentioned pretty much all the women we talked about in the history of, art, of women in archaeology episodes. Like, oh, we talked about that person. Oh, we talked about that person. <laughs> and it just it made yeah. me happy that they devoted a good 
chunk of the book to, well, here, women have been trying to be archaeologists and do archaeology for a long time before we even were really accepted into the field. And it even portrays that um, really well. Like there are questions like you should ask. Um, let me see if I can find it. it there's a, a story about Mary Leakey. And then at the bottom, it shows um, ask and answer. And it goes, why is it important for women to have the same career opportunities as men? It's like, yes, thank you. Not only <laughs> connecting to these issues in the past, you're bringing it to the present. Yay. Good job, book. Uh, so I found that really enjoyable that women were mentioned throughout various periods in history in terms of their connection to archaeology, um, all the way from just like early collectors during the Renaissance period to women like Mary Leakey and um, Jane Delafoy. I mean, it just it does a really good job giving a, a background to women doing archaeology for quite some time. Because like you said, you type in archaeology, you're going to get Indiana Jones. Women are usually not thought about when you think about the history of archaeology. And so I think it's great that it presents it in such a well-rounded way. Yeah, definitely. And one of the things that I have to say I, I really enjoyed, and, and some of this goes back to the the age group that this is geared at, um, but so often, like you said, when people think archaeologists and you see Indiana Jones and you know, could probably do an entire episode at some point about all of the things wrong with Indiana Jones. <laughs> Several episodes, in fact. But, you know, they are looters, they are male, they are all of these these other things. And the ideas that individuals get about what are kind of appropriate, uh, you know, air quotes, appropriate roles for, for men and women to have are are formulated really, really early I remember reading an, an article about um, pedagogical theory, so teaching theory, and they were talking about this really interesting project they'd done where they had someone go into a kindergarten class. So we're talking four, five, six-year-olds. You know, you might have a couple four-year-olds who started early and a couple six-year-olds who started late, but basically five-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Who, Yeah. You know, haven't been around all that long. <laughs> who were asked to draw pictures of uh, police persons and fire persons and nurses and doctors and EMTs and astronauts and all of these, you know, careers that could be could be really interesting. And like 95 percent of the class, some absurdly large percentage of the class drew male police people and male astronauts and male doctors and mm -hmm. female nurses and female teachers. And it, it became really obvious through, you know, asking these students and, and the students in the class were roughly 50, 50 male to, to female students that these gendered ideas of, of what jobs people have based on, you know, their, their biological sex or their gender are very uh, they're inscribed at a very young age. Mm -hmm. And then they did a really interesting thing where they had a bunch of female doctors and um, firemen and, and police um, officers and astronauts come in. And then a bunch of, you know, male nurses and male teachers and afterwards had every, all the kids, you know, draw those people again. And they saw a much more even um, gender distribution in in the drawings, mm -hmm. but having something like this that is geared towards someone nine to nine to twelve is so important because I didn't start learning about female archaeologists until you know junior year of college maybe <laughs> it was it was never a focus mm -hmm. you know you've got a life you know twenty twenty years of gendered expectations and if you can catch people when they're younger and start to change the expectations of what is a you know air quote appropriate job um you can really start to to change the world oh definitely i looked out as a, a kid that i had a stubborn streak a mile long 
still do. So even though <laughs> I may have been told like, well, women don't really do archaeology. I was like, yeah, they do. Woo! I'm off, you know. <laughs> but you're 100% right. We need to have more visuals of positive role models doing all kinds of jobs. And not even just the STEM stuff. I mean, in the arts and music as well. But yeah, specifically f- focusing on archaeology, I don't remember seeing very many women in archaeology either until probably about college, except one children's book. And I think it may have actually been about paleontology, but it had women digging and it had women looking at fossils and whatnot. And it was a book by Avi. And I wish I could remember what it was called off the top of my head, but yeah, there are very few representations of women doing more scientific jobs like archaeology. So sorry, I'm kind of just ranting on top of what you just said. (laughs) But yeah, but but it bears repeating. It's super, super important. Yeah, and so it's, it, I mean, it's incredibly frustrating, and I guess I just, I lucked out that no one really ever told me all that, you know, strongly, like, you can't do that, but I think it would have been better if I had had seen more women doing these types of jobs that I now do, because it would have been like, oh, well, it's not odd that I'm doing these things, it's just part of the norm. All women, yes. you know, go do fire archaeology. All women go do CRM. All women go study in a lab. All women go on a, you know, go scuba diving to look at shipwrecks. But you don't see that. Yeah. yeah. There's a, a couple of, of things or a couple of the historical personas that I wanted to, to pull out of the book that we did have discussed um, on a previous episode. Check One it out. being Gertrude Yes, it is really good. Um, one being Gertrude Bell. Um, and one of the things that I'm, I'm still working on, actually, a bio- her biography, one of her biographies, there have been several written, um, that I just I find her story very fascinating because she was so part and parcel to the political establishment of Iraq in the 1920s as an independent country from you know, British rule. And they touch on that a little bit in this, in that she was, you know, honorary curator or, um, or what's the word, uh, basically head of the museum in Baghdad. And she wrote a lot of the laws that ended up um, being in place for until fairly recently. The laws are still in place, but, um, but with safeguarding the heritage and keeping people from removing artifacts any longer. Uh, so this was sort of during the decolonization process from the British Empire in the early 20th century. And I think it's really neat that uh, because she is one of those few examples, a man or woman, who in the process of being an archaeologist in the early 20th century was also part and parcel to helping protect the national heritage or the cultural heritage of another country rather than you know, most of this era, you know, you go and you take, you take home. Um, everything goes back to your home country. And everything goes back to the, exactly. And so, um, you know, obvious cases are like, you know, Greece and, <laughs> um, in the British basically looting of, of the, Elgin everything marbles. there, the, the Elgin marbles. Yeah. The, the all of the, Everything. The British everything. looting of everything. Pretty British much. looting of everything. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of neat that she was, yeah, just this single British woman aristocrat who decided that enough was enough and the place that she fell in love with, she fought to have them keep their stuff. Um, and then the second being, I think this was one of your guys' favorites, uh, was Jane Delafoy. <laughs> yes. I pronounced that correctly. I believe um, so who is similarly fascinating for, um, however, her decision that it was easiest, which I can no doubtably assume, because in some parts of the world this would also make our work easier, is to just dress and presume that everyone knows that you're a man instead of a woman. (laughs) 
And, um, but she did this sort of despite um, it being very contrary to French, uh, she was French, uh, French social norms at the time. Um, it, and it was, it was actually illegal. Yeah. She had to get special dispensation to allow her to do it. Yeah. So you can take that and run with it, Chelsea, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's uh, such a fascinating person. <clears throat> So it's awesome that she ended up in the book. They chose well. They chose a couple really good people. Because yes. obviously it, it's hard not to be like, oh, why didn't they do um, Zelia? Uh, is it Natal or Natel? Natel, uh, oh, Natal, I think. Natal. And there, like, there's so many great examples, but it's a kid's book. You can only pick so many. But yeah, I think they did a good job. Although, of course, it'd be great to have like... More. Always want more. <laughs> yes. Well, the you know digging into that, um, you know, they have a little bit on their biographies, but also the, the projects that they worked on. You know, oh, yeah. it's not just about, you know, here is what this woman did from this date to this date. This is the place she went. This date to this date. Did this generally. Um, there is some. There are some specific sites that are involved, which some of which are continuing to be excavated and worked on today and researched. So that was kind of a neat um, kind of uh, pull from the past into the present and that connection of continuity is kind of neat. Yeah. So I think that's actually a, a really great place to head to our first break um, on the importance of the continuity of, of women in archaeology. And when we come back, we will talk a little bit more about some of the specific historical examples of women and move on to some of the, the modern women that uh, are also mentioned in this book. Archaeology and Ale is a free monthly talk presented by Archaeology in the City from the University of Sheffield Archaeology Department. That's where the archaeology part of archaeology and ale comes from. As for the ale part, the talk is held upstairs at the Red Deer, a great local pub on Pitt Street in Sheffield, South Yorkshire, on the last Thursday of every month. If you're in Sheffield, do come along, and don't worry, non-ale alternatives are also available. If you can't make it to Sheffield, never fear. You can listen to the archaeology and ale talk every month, right here on the Archaeology Podcast Network. And now, back to the show. Hi, and welcome back to the Women in Archaeology podcast. So far on this episode, we have been discussing the book, Archaeology, Cool Women Who Dig. When we left off, we'd been talking about some of the great historical examples of female archaeologists that the book mentions. Um, and I think we're going to continue on a little bit with that and then move on to some of the excellent modern female archaeologists that we can all look up to. I just, I just loved all all of this it was so so great and i mean you know we had we had mentioned gertrude uh bell a little bit earlier I, I didn't throw this in at the time but one of the really great things that i appreciated in the this book in terms of interactives so there were two separate interactives for gertrude bell one of which um, was a qr code that will actually take you to a website that has some of Gertrude Bell's letters and diaries, um, you know, scanned and digitized online so that you can actually go back and see what this incredible woman was saying firsthand. You know, it's not somebody's interpretation or something a history book is, is telling you. You can go and make your own uh, your own judgments and, and do your own investigating. And the other thing I really liked was, um, and this is a, another QR code, but it's a link to a comic series that was based on the on Gertrude's life. It was produced by Newcastle University and just kind of going on the, the same theme of having information be more accessible to people of, of different ages. Um, there are also people who really hate reading. 
they don't like reading, they're dyslexic, they're, you know, whatever. I'm dyslexic. Um, it took me it took me a long time to think that reading was fun or to sit down and and think that, you know, reading, uh, you know, a, a long book was going to be something enjoyable rather than like, God, why are all of the letters swimming? Comic books are, are really great. And I know a lot of times people look at, at comic books and think of them as, you know, for children or a, a means of entertainment, not as a means of conveying knowledge. But the fact that you can take something like Gertrude's story and turn it into a comic, which might appeal to a different audience um, to, to spread that knowledge in, in a different way. I just thought it was so great. Mm-hmm. Did you check out the comic? I did. Um, there, there's actually a, um, a series of educational comics that they've done, you know, a comic on marine biology and a comic on um, being a volcanologist and a whole bunch of, of other things. I will admit I haven't read many of them. Um, you know, I think I think one of them was part of the free comic book giveaway that, that happens every May, and that's how I found out about it. And I've perused a couple other ones. Um, so, so I mean, Newcastle University certainly isn't the only university that's trying to take, um, you know, more academic style knowledge and making it accessible in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they've done a, an archaeology specific one, but and unfortunately I can't remember who the, the publisher of that particular comic is, but I'm, I'm always up for talking about comics. <laughs> I think they're fun too. And it's such a great way to disseminate information because, I mean, having substituted for many, di- many different grades and ages kids seem to have a very very short attention span and something that can break down information in a quick but also unique way is always mm-hmm. wonderful because people are like oh look at the art and like oh these are really neat pictures and then they read the conversations like haha you are learning and you don't even realize it <laughs> well, ha, ha, ha. And and that's also stuff that they're going to remember. Oh, yeah. Because they're not sitting in a classroom having to memorize something. You know, I'm sure that there's a ton of information <laughs> that I've forgotten that I had to memorize for some test at some point in my life. Oh, most <laughs> um, definitely. Right? But but a book you enjoy reading or a, or a comic that's interesting that you can talk to your friends about that, you know, it sticks around. Mm-hmm. So that actually makes me think of the illustrator. So there's uh, Lena Chanhawk has done some wonderful illustrations uh, in here based on photographs uh, alongside some really great historic full color um, photographs of the modern uh, women archeologists as well as their sites and different areas that they've studied or have interest in. So you have a couple of historic uh, photographs in black and white. So those, but each of the featured Archaeologists, so Chelsea Rhodes, Justin Benanti, uh, I believe is how you pronounce that. They ha- are all illustrated in their um, element. So Justine is underwater, of course, uh, with her her underwater paper, which I thought was really kind of fun. Um, she's not pictured with uh, the digging equipment per se, but it's her her really cool underwater, like waterproof paper. Yeah, waterproof paper, and um, it looks like, I'm not sure what the weight things are. It almost looks like a, um, do you know, guys, do you guys know what that is? On chap- uh, page 75? This I is how much I know no about underwater archaeology. <laughs> okay. But they're tools that she uses in the field, which I don't mm-hmm. do underwater archaeology, so I wouldn't know what they are. But they feature other tools like the total station, which I thought was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a lot of wonderful illustrations and photographs. Yeah. So it's it's neat to look at as well. There are a lot of words just because it's a higher rating level. Um, but it is definitely not just boring stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a photo of Chelsea Rose in Alaska. So you get a really beautiful view of the mountains. And like some... Um, she has her dig... Um, 
So she, Alexandra Jones is set up with her, uh, her teaching environment, which is kind of neat. Uh, but each, each one, like I said, is kind of set in their own, their own element, which was kind of cool. And, and in many different avenues, uh, like, or different elements too. Yeah. Like you have what, them at a dig site, then, at, you know, with Chelsea, um, against the mountains and it's, it's nice showing that they're doing different things rather yes. than like we've said at the beginning of the show. It's not just the stuff. It shows what they're doing. It's the job. It's showing much more about the profession, which is so much fun. And one of the neat things is that all of the archaeologists that they've featured, or all three of them, um, do outreach. They are involved in public outreach. So there's a potential for kids to read this and then meet these archaeologists, which is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Chelsea is involved in a lot of um, public outreach in and around uh, Jacksonville and Southern Oregon um, fairly consistently. Alexander Jones, of course, has said it with the AITC, the Archaeology in the Community in the D.C. area. And mm-hmm. the underwater... Uh, what is it? Diving for a purpose? Yeah, that sounds right. That Justine puts together youth diving with a purpose. Um, and so it's it's a pretty neat thing to be able to read about an archaeologist and have them very accessible. It's not just, you know, someone who's really far away and is locked in a research office mm-hmm. or lab. And Chelsea's <laughs> been on our Forever. podcast. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, let's check out our uh, the portrayal of uh, women archaeologists in the media episode, and she was on there with us. Um, and she is fantastic and really fun to talk to. Uh, she was on the uh, Time Team America television show. Mm-hmm, yes. It's on PBS, and you can. Um, a lot of libraries carry that. You can also watch it online. Um, I did a program with kids, and I had them watch uh, part of one of the episodes just as an introduction to, this is what archaeology is all about, and showing them what archaeologists do, and it's a wonderful program, and the book does get into that a little bit, and it's nice how much the book gets into the community outreach side of each person. And yeah. the programs they do, it's not just a one-liner. It's like, no, they actually really are doing a lot of outreach beyond just academia, publishing, excavating, etc. And um, I'm not as familiar with the other two individuals who are um, highlighted in the book. But uh, having talked to Chelsea just on this podcast, I can see why she's in the book. It. <laughs> makes perfect sense. She's great. Yeah. Yes. And that also brings me to another point because the, the audience is set for a certain age level mm-hmm. uh, and it's good for teachers to have around, but also archaeologists often, I know I get requests because I've done some, not nearly as much outreach as these women in the book, but I've done a few um, bits of uh, outreach and public education and I'm always getting questions for how to do such things and this actually would be a really great resource for other archaeologists to get an idea or a feel for the possibilities that are out there Mm -hmm. Um, to even have examples of programs to look at to be like hey i'm interested in doing this is sort of the the right age range or even being able to look at it and customize it for something that um might be you know as an inspiration for something that they might be interested in i mean alexandra's uh, organization uh, being a nonprofit is actually for me very inspiring because it's something that I has flittered through the back of my mind. I don't know if it'll ever be something that happens, but to do the volunteer work for people and organizations that don't have the funds, um, even though they need to do uh, cultural resource management. This in here talks a little bit about a church in the DC area who, when the church was the interior was destroyed from a fire, but it was a historic church. Due to its not it being a very well-known historic church, they had to do um, some. They had to do archaeology to before they could restore it and before they could rebuild. Um, but they didn't have the means to do the, this type of project because they're not. Unfortunately, they are more expensive. Um, 
just as you know any other research project or construction project. So um, what she did is set up to be able to help organizations out that have to do such things and involve the community that is um, that is involved. It's, I don't like repeating myself, but um, they, she involved the, the church community for which she was working with. So she had a lot of people that were went to this church for years help out um, mm-hmm. and get to learn about the history of the place that they had already fairly well known, but you always learn something new with archaeology, um, as well as professionals alongside uh, her in those uh, works. So that was kind of a really neat thing to see that you don't see a whole lot of. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really also the right way to do archaeology, you know, to not come in and tell someone else what their history is, but to, you know, it's like a collaborative learning experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah talk about uh, just the individuals mentioned in the book in general. Um, One thing I think the book does really well that I don't think that I I don't have that I haven't really seen in other kids books it it doesn't only get into each person as an archaeologist, it goes through the process of how they became an archaeologist and It, like, what was it that inspired them to become an archaeologist? And then where did they go to school? What field schools did they go to? How did they then get into this career that they now have? And then how they've branched out in many different directions. So it's not only just giving kids that the idea, like, you can be an archaeologist. Well, here's the how. Here's the work that these individuals went into, went through to get to where they are now. So it provides a realistic idea of the work each person went through to get to where they are now, as opposed to just, you know, going from point A to then point Z. It gives a lot of it in between, which I think is great. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's something I think that is more of a feature of the Girls in Science series, where it's trying to inspire uh, kids and in particular girls but it's you don't have to have a predestined path like you don't have to know how to get there necessarily from the beginning you just have to be inspired um and it's not a you know my father was a doctor before me so i must be a doctor sort of you know repetitive thing it's you do have to be inspired to be in this business (laughs) Mm -hmm. as we all know numerous reasons but you you know it it helps to really kind of have that drive you can't really i haven't known i I can't say you can't really but i haven't known a lot of archaeologists that have just happenstance landed in archaeology and are happy with it Mm -hmm. so you generally you fight to be in here you, you push and and inquire and kind of wiggle your way in and you love it and that's you do all of that because you're interested in these topics but it's a very broad set of topics and skill sets uh, which is another thing that they hit on too is you don't have to be you know a physics major or you know as great i mean you do have to have some math skills one might say but you don't have to you know finish you know calculus too in order to become an archaeologist it's, unless you're specializing in certain things, is that it's that broad um, field of study that has many different types of specializations, and that's something that they hit on to. So that brings up another really great point. Um, I think it is Chelsea Rose um, is the, the woman who went, and she did, I guess, like a year at the University of Oregon, um, and then went and took a couple years off before she you know, went, went back and, and finished up her schooling there. And she went and she traveled and she did some really interesting things. And, you know, that, that kind of brings up the point that lots of children are told, you know, you get good grades, go to college, you get good grades, you get into a good college, you go to college, get a job, you go on to grad school or, you know, it's very like boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. And I think having examples of successful people, um, just in general, who haven't necessarily followed that path is really good. And 
you know, Chelsea has certainly learned from the the traveling that she did and, and those experiences that she had, you know, going and seeing other places and meeting other people like will make you a better anthropologist and a better archaeologist because we are all after all trying to understand other people it's kind of the goal definitely um, and I'm, i bet it helped her from not burning out as well i think that's the big one is if you just go straight through it's exhausting and maybe you don't want to be an archaeologist or anthropologist at the end of that because you're so sick of it <laughs> yeah and I've, I've met a lot of people that get un- uninspired and worn out so that's it is i mean you've at least i've read studies over the years that tout the benefits of taking a year off after high school or between degrees just so you can rehydrate <laughs> life again <laughs> yeah and you're not lost in this hole of like i am only my schoolwork or only my you know my academic profession or academic career and then if you get a different job or do something else, the rest of your life, it's kind of like, what is the rest of my life? I don't know. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you, you, yeah. You're not sure where you are and where your true love for what you do is. So that is definitely a really inspiring point on, on what you're saying there. Oh, yeah. It's good to see in a book, you don't have to follow the traditional path. Yeah, I'm I am a huge fan of gap years. I took some time off between my master's and my PhD. You know, for exactly the reasons that you were saying, you get tired and anyone who tells you that academia is easy or not stressful is lying. <laughs> I took a break between undergrad and my master's and I thank God that I did that. Definitely. Yeah. And and I'm super grateful for the the time that I took off because you know, I learned more about myself and more about, you know, some different aspects of, of the world. And it was great. Um, and I think that that probably just about brings us up to the end of our, our second segment. Um, and when we come back, we will talk a bit more about some of the other awesome things that are happening in this book. Hooray! Fabulous. Interested in archaeology? Want to hear from experts in the field about the latest discoveries and interpretations? Check out the Archaeology Show every other Saturday and let hosts Chris Webster and April Camp Whitaker take you deeper into the story. Check out the Archaeology Show at www.archpodnet.com forward slash archaeology and subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and the Google Music Store. That's www.archpodnet.com forward slash archaeology. Now back to the show. Hi, and welcome back to the Women in Archaeology podcast. So far on today's episode, we have been discussing the book Archaeology, Cool Women Who Dig. When we left off at the end of last section, we were talking about some of the great variety of experience and paths to archaeology that the women in this book talked about, uh, or the, the experiences that they had. But in addition to, to kind of the big three women who are, you know, each have their own chapters, there are all sorts of really, really great um, little vignettes of other women who are doing really, really wonderful things in, in archaeology. So I think we're going to talk a little bit about some of those inspiring individuals. Um, Emily or Kirsten, do you want to kick us off with anyone in particular? So I want to say, I'm trying to find the page, exactly. So there is one of our fellow women in archaeology um, ladies who is, um, well, not on this show, but a woman archaeologist, rather. Uh, but we'd love to been, have you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> she has been all over the media lately, which has been endearing in some ways, and I find it both somewhat hilarious, not on, you know, anything against her, but just the fascination with her work. It is really cool work, don't get me wrong, Um, but it is unique enough that it has caught the imagination of the public, and she was featured, uh, what, yesterday on 60 Minutes. I have seen uh, her pop up all over various news, um, outlets and uh long story short she's also featured in this book in one of these little 
um, squares, these little cool careers, and this is the space archaeologist. And uh, Sarah, you will have to let us know the proper pronunciation because I do not know it. And we were just discussing whether it is Sarah Parkak or Sarah Parsak. So apologies ahead of time, but um, that that we need that correction. <laughs> so, um, but this talks a bit about uh, her work and what she does. So this is looking at different um, looking at using satellite imagery to look for sites. And so this is one of those things that um, is fascinating to the public, partly because of Google Earth. And this is, I'm sure, I know people have done this, where they'll spend hours combing over Google Earth just to look at what the Earth looks like from that distance, right? And when you zoom in, you can zoom in really closely. Um, however, the um, the materials that Sarah works with are much more detailed um, and are from different times of the day. And so she can get a much finer um, comb, I guess is the best way to put it, to, to find these sites. So um, the one featured in here is in 2011, uh, she discovered potential new sites of uh, ancient pyramids in Egypt. And that's something I haven't looked into more, but that's one of the, the many things that she's done uh, with her work. Um, She's also mentioned on page three of the book and there and talking about uh, her work in Canada um, on Newfoundland where uh, she helped find potential new evidence yeah. for the uh, Vikings in North America. And there's actually a really fun and I say fun because it's more fun than it is like uber scientific, but um, really fun uh, documentary on Netflix. And she's featured prominently in it. And the research is featured beautifully in it. I'm um, called Vikings Unearthed. And they do a highly dramatized version of what she does. <laughs> where it kind of looks like the Bones Laboratory on TV. But I'm sure she usually just looks at a computer. Whereas this was like special lighting. But <laughs> it's a really fun documentary that shows that research. And how it came about. So, um... But the like Kirsten was saying, it's mentioned in the book, and oh, it's so much fun. Yes, and Chelsea, of course, you work with Viking material, so I know you have your own <laughs> thoughts on that. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, I always have opinions. Um, <laughs> how long have we been doing this? If you don't know that at that by this point, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think her work is fascinating. I think the potential implications of it are, you know, mind mind blowing. It could really change the the face of the field. Um, that being said, I have a healthy dose of skepticism about this site in <laughs> Newfoundland, which is mirrored by many other individuals. Um, you know that that being said, this book was put together for publication before you know, a lot of those, those results had been made public or uh, yeah. published or discussed or, you know, before some of the excavation was probably taken place. I'm not entirely sure of the, the timeline for this book, but I know you don't snap your fingers and have a book two weeks later. Um, yeah. So, so I imagine, you know, this was potentially written before excavation had, had taken place at that particular site in, in Newfoundland. Um, and, and let's just go with healthy dose of skepticism. <laughs> Well, the lovely thing, the lovely thing about this book, though, so far is that it's the, they're very good with their wording because, of course, these are potential sites mm -hmm. um, and looking for because I mean that's that's the biggest thing about searching and doing survey is kind of where are high probability areas. Mm -hmm. So this can definitely help with that to a certain extent, of course. Uh, sure. There's a lot that you're not going to be able to see, um, but there are things that you'll be able to see from that distance that you wouldn't be able to see on foot. So I think definitely a combination of techniques is, is something that she really kind of gets into um, on a more professional level of discussion versus um, stuff that's discussed with the, the public just due to the level of understanding of how archaeology works. But 
it is one of those things that will grab the attention of of kids because space is always cool. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, oh, definitely. And I, love <laughs> uh, I, I think her work is very interesting, and there are so yeah. many really fascinating possibilities. I just, you know, the this particular site is my in my area of expertise, so I have opinions. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, I, if she was looking at, you know, caves in the Great Basin, I'd probably be having similar opinion issues. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, um, there were some others. Did you have uh, another one of those cool career squares that you wanted to discuss? Yeah, so I mean, I really love um, the attention that Christina Kilgrove was given, and and I know that she's been given some more attention recently. She was given, I believe it was at the Triple A's, um, the American Anthropological Association meeting this year, where she was given an award for the the outreach and the work that she does. Um, in addition to being a spectacular scholar and if you haven't read any of the work that she's done it's really wonderful and she teaches um i believe it's down at in florida but i'm not even gonna try and guess what university in florida I think miami uh, is what was y- mentioned in yeah so so one of the things christina does is she works for forbes and what she does for them is she's a an archaeologist reporter or writer and she takes recent publications and summarizes them and takes what may be a 20, 15 to 20 page article and turns it into a two, three, four page um, piece for Forbes. It's, it's hard to tell the exact length because I usually read them online and they don't have page breaks online. <laughs> you can just tell um, the so, best. <laughs> right. So, it, so if I've grossly, you know, miscalculated the length of these articles, my apologies. Um but she she breaks down what you know oftentimes maybe three pages of um you know materials and methods section on you know strontium isotope and oxygen isotope this indicate that the levels of water runoff you know that i mean most people are not they start glazing gonna over have any clue what what is being talked about um, and summarizes that in a way that is very approachable. Um, and the other really great thing about it is that while you might not be reading the the full text from the journal, one, you know it exists. So if you want to go find the full text from the journal, you can you can access it. But two, journal access fees are prohibitive, highly prohibitive. Yeah, they're so expensive. You know, if you're not part of of a university or a research institution. Well, even then they can be and, really pricey. Right, but hopefully you can get your research institution to pay for them then. That's true. <laughs> uh, we can all dream, right? <laughs> but so so having this place where you can go and get an idea of, of what's being said and have the major points summarized, you know, is, is really great. And it makes it accessible on a couple levels. One being the, the cost factor to being, um, you know, the the language that's being used. It turns something that is created for a very academic audience into something that can be consumed by, by a more general audience uh, and just brings a lot of awareness to the field, what we do, why it's important. Um, you know, and, and I believe Forbes was one of the first articles or one of the first, you know, print magazines newspaper that sort of thing that started doing this but now you know the the daily mail and the independent and the guardian have all started doing it and um it's it's really caught on as a thing that people like reading and they like learning about it it's interesting Mm -hmm. and it's and it started starting to be mimicked and i think a lot of that has to do with christina's ability to translate this this information and make it approachable and make it interesting um rather than just a list of of chemical values mm-hmm. that might not mean much to you know even other archaeologists um if you don't have the the chemistry background yeah and it's hard to do i've tried 
<laughs> I mean, I, I do. I work with, with the isotopes, and it's it's painful. Even though this is my special area of specialization, I have moments sometimes where I'm like, "Why am I doing this?" And it's because I love what it can tell us, but it's definitely something that I have worked to gain the knowledge in order to translate it better. For that reason, in uh, the, the work that she does, definitely is a good indicator of where a lot of archaeologists should go to it because we are such a broad field and we should, you know, have more access, uh, be more accessible to the public. Mm-hmm. So my, my thought, I was just thinking um, on, on another level, there's a couple of um, discussions in here um, through a few of the different archaeologists uh, about Looting, which I thought was really neat too. About um, what? Sorry. Looting. Looting. Um, yes. So that was there. She is. Uh, so Monica Hanna, Dr. Monica Hanna, um, works with uh, in Egypt uh, to help uh, save antiquities for everyone in her program with safe. And there was another one with um, uh, Twitter, I believe. Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember who that was? I don't remember who the Twitter person was. I know that there are there's a lot of really interesting things going on 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 Twitter. I mean, we just recently had the um, first you know public archaeology conference on on Twitter. That was oh, Dr. Monica Hanna. Oh, that's who I was just talking about. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So she, she like- uses Facebook and Twitter. Um, to raise awareness and defend Egypt's cultural heritage from thieves. It's a direct quote from the book. So it's great that the book even shows how social media can be a positive force in archaeology. Because, I mean, I don't think a lot of people would consider social media a good form, or Twitter to be of use for anything, you know? And here you go, Twitter and Facebook. It's, and I'm sure other blogs and whatnot, um have been great in terms of getting not only just knowledge about archaeology out, but trying to combat issues of looting and collecting in such heavily looted areas. I mean, it seems like there's a new news article every day about Egypt or Iran or Iraq of some area just getting slammed um, in terms of uh, collectors and looters and whatnot. Well, and I mean, even in the States, we, we have quite a problem with, with looting, but also even just um, vandalism uh, of oh, yeah. rock art sites and stuff. So that's in national parks and, and elsewhere. So that's a whole other thing. But uh, just bringing that issue up as it, an issue, as something that it's like, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like they start the book with, you know, Collecting is in the history. It's different than what we do now, which is archaeology, contrasting collecting and archaeology, but then also just speaking out against looting and that it is an issue and a problem, and it does put um, this knowledge at risk. So even if it just keeps one kid, you know, while they're on a hike with their family and they see a really cool projectile point and they pick it up and go, ooh, they know... Well, I can't really take this with me. The book said don't collect it. So Yeah. <laughs> and they'll put it back down and if their parents try to take it, they'll slap it out of their hands. <laughs> <laughs> and take a GPS point and, and uh, report it to their local ship. <laughs> that's the property. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so I actually just really quickly wanna go back and, and retouch on Christina because I went and actually found the page on Christina Kilgrove in the, the book and realized that as much as I talked about her awesome work with Forbes, it's not really mentioned a ton <laughs> in her vignette on what she does. Um, she's a, a bioarchaeologist who works with um, or has been working with Roman skeletons, looking at the, um, you know, their pathology and their... Um, you know, like the chemical makeup of their bones and where they came from, learning that they came from, you know, all over Europe, Africa and, and Asia. Um, so, you know, just to 
to make clear that the book doesn't spend, you know, five pages talking about <laughs> That's just me. But she's worth looking into and checking out her, her work on Forbes. Yes, because public outreach is important for adults as well. It's oh, not, yeah, as far as just... It, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so I, so I think that um, we're probably approaching the end of our, well, not probably, we are approaching the end of our <laughs> third section. Um, does anyone have any kind of final thoughts or anything they want to say? Check this book out. I mean, it's a great addition, I think, to any school library. I think parents might have fun reading this with their kids. Um, I just, I think it's a great book. Check it out. Yeah, um, I just wanted to kind of uh, add again that this is a great resource for anyone who is kind of querying over or troubling themselves over how to do public outreach because um, there's some good examples in here. And also um, just the amount of resources. I mean, this is a great starting point um, as well as an ending point. Like it is a complete thought in and of its own, but if you know, kids or you want to, you know, look further. Um, it's got a good, lot of good resources. And I especially like, I'm a really big fan, and I know I mentioned this earlier, in the back of the book is the timeline. Starting at the 6th century BCE, um, all the way through 2015. And this book was actually published, it came out this April, actually. So it's still very, um, pretty well up to date. Uh, so that's kind of a nice, a nice touch in that it's, so it has a timeline that goes up to 2015. Um, however, the book was published very recently. It just came out uh, this April uh, in 2017. So there's a lot in here that's still pretty current. Uh, and all of the sites that they discuss in here, you can probably look up and get some good information about. And most of the archaeologists in here are very accessible and you can find more information on even outside the links that they offer. So um, it's a really great starting point for educators novice educators kids of course um and everything that emily said <laughs> <laughs> hooray and i was hoping i was hoping to have some critiques to offer but um and this sounds really kind of cliche i'm sure but there isn't a whole lot that i saw in here that i would improve on i mean they're very careful with their word choice which is very inspiring because i tend to be overly critical of kids books myself um, for having a child, partly I'm like, I don't want to teach them that, like, thought pattern sort of thing. Um, but everything from looking at what a tunnel station is to meet the Maya and all of the questions and answers throughout here is just, it's really, really well done. And I am actually inspired to look at more of their series in the Girls in Science because, you know, archaeology is one of many and because we're so interdisciplinary. I'd like to see what they have on, you know, uh, they have a section, a, a book on forensics, technology, astronomy, engineering, um, architecture, kind of everything. So um, definitely, you know, if, if you have kids that are interested in other things as well or want to see what other things that the series has to offer, it's definitely worth a look-see. Yeah, and I, I would just second that. I think it's a, a really... Well done book. I'm super happy that, you know, someone is is gearing material towards this age range. I think it's it's important to get people involved and engaged in thinking about this from from a young age and, you know, providing young girls with good role models of, of women in whatever field they want to be in and, and succeeding. So I think it is just really a well done book. And I think on that note, ladies, um, it has been lovely, as always, to have you on. Um, so, so thank you so much for joining me tonight. And for anyone who is listening, if you are interested, you have more questions about the book or about anything we've said today, we can always be reached on Twitter at Women Archies or by email at thewomeninarchaeology at gmail.com. So thanks again for, for joining, ladies, and I'll talk to you next time. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>
Bye. We hope you have enjoyed the show. Please be sure to subscribe and rate our show wherever you listen. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and probably whatever your favorite podcasting app is. Remember to like and share. If you have questions or comments, you can post them in the comments section for the show at the Women in Archaeology page on the Archaeology Podcasting Network site. Or email them to us at womeninarchaeologypodcast at gmail.com. This show is part of the Archaeology Podcasting Network and is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle. You can reach them at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Music for this show was Retro Future by Kevin McLeod, available at Incomptep and royalty-free music. Thanks for listening. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle. And edited by Richie Cruz. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.